Welcome to the Rockonomics Podcast, episode number 46. We're back from our annual winter hibernation. Sorry it took so long, but hopefully it is worth the wait. I am your host, Dill, and I'm thrilled to kick off this new batch of episodes with the killer rhythm section of bassist Ashley Reeve and drummer Jason Sutter. Ashley is a California-born and bred bassist who's played with CeeLo Green, Adam Lambert, Ed Hardcourt, Money Mark, and Filter, to name a few. And Jason is a fellow upstate New Yorker whose resume includes the late, great Chris Cornell, Marilyn Manson, Borner, and the New York Dolls, among others. I met the two while they were touring with Cher on her Here We Go Again tour, and our conversation about their individual stories, highs and lows of the business, side hustles, and all-around music insider minutia went a little something like this. Uh, college. I know you went. You went to Cal Cal, Cal Arts. Arts. Yep. Um, and you were at the University of North Texas and Miami. And then you went to Miami. Yeah. You, you had a, a quote that said, um, "I want to teach the whole music department about the business of music, show a wider picture because college doesn't show that." Y- yeah, I think yeah. So are we on? So, yeah, we're okay. on. Sorry. So yeah, no, I mean, I, I actually do have a whole, like a syllabus that I created from doing drum clinics. You know, I've been doing drum clinics since probably like 2011. And I thought like, God, you know, as I start going, I started talking about trying to incorporate the business part of it. But depending on where you're doing it, if you're doing a drum clinic at a, at a, at a guitar center, most people don't care. Um, they just want to see you play and whatever and technique. But when I was doing, co- you know, clinics at colleges, I found myself kind of trying to talk about these big, broad subjects that you don't get taught in college. Right. And you can't get taught in college because even if you have the best professor in the world, he's probably been out of the scene for one or two years, and that's all it takes because this business moves so quickly, you know? Right. So to me, I think it does take more colleges should bring people in. And also I think they are now because there's a lot more music business programs or mm-hmm. what's the word they use for it? There's an official word like full-on programs now because no one's going to school to become a performer anymore. Right. Sound yeah. it's true. Those whole departments are gone. So now they yeah. have a music business and then they also have I'm, – I'm spacing the term for it. But there are these huge – like Syracuse University mm-hmm. has a huge program that has tons of kids that come in to do – become business lawyers or publishing or management, right. which now is where the money's at. And if they're going to a college, their parents want to know they're going to get a job. Not, I'm going to be a saxophone major to play in an orchestra. It's like, that's not going to happen. Maybe you'll teach. but So anyway, I tried to come up with, as I was doing that, I started to whittle it down and thought I should come up with these big, broad terms like breaking into a scene, things that they don't tell you in college, like where do you go? Right. When you're out, when you're finished, no one tells you what to do next. And so to me, that was a big subject is breaking into a scene because you have to move somewhere new. Well, how do you break into that? And I've done that a few times in my life where, you know, certain things have like a way to like get in with the local scene and meet players. And, and then same with like auditions, which are basically musicians' job interviews. You know, nobody right. talks about that, you know. And there's really like we've talked about like the shoes you wear can, can dictate whether or not you get a job. And no one's mm-hmm. going to tell you that, you know, <laughs> know your band, know the whole record, mm-hmm. not just the three songs they asked, know their whole catalog, learn the live version. Anyway, those are what, what I was trying to, and so I've actually done a bunch of lectures at a bunch of colleges and, and it seems like the, the kids just like flip out because it's like this, you know, Rosetta Stone, like they've, <laughs> they're learning this information that, that no one ever taught them and they're dying to find out how to get, you know, and the professors love it because and also the fact that I went to 
seven years of college, you know, a terminal degree basically in music, they love that because I'm coming in and basically saying stay in school. Right. I did, so you should. <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I know you, you had a quote that said, um, all any of it is, is networking. Well, it's, I mean, it's a huge part of it. It's like you're... I'm sort of lucky because I grew up in L.A. I went to school more or less in Los Angeles, um, even though Calais is a little bit removed from L.A. Um, I was already building my network within... Actually, once I started high school, which was the L.A. County High School for the Arts, I've still maintained a bunch of those friendships, right. including like my friend Eva Gardner, who held the share base position right. before me. So it's all very like full circle. Um you know, it's just really important to sort of start as early as you can, making nurturing those friendships and those connections. And um, when I went to college, I thought I was going to be a salsa bass player. I thought like Latin music was going to be right. my thing, and um, so that was really my focus in the performance realm while I was there. <clears throat> and I ended up really like loving that style and loving the experience of performing that that style but the scene for me I just felt like a fish out of water I think um because I was just like such a young little female bass player and I was in the Latin world's very much machismo yeah it's like very like you know um male dominant and I think because I was just this young thing coming in with my little electric bass most of the bass players had baby like upright baby basses and um I just had a lot of things kind of that I felt I was just like a, a salmon fighting upstream, you know, right. and um, the hangs like in between the songs, like when we would, you know, in between the, the breaks, I just felt like I, I couldn't speak Spanish, which was a huge mark against me. Um, I had enough knowledge to sort of get through the charts, you know, coro, you know, whatever. But when it came to the hang, it just didn't feel like my scene. And I just, I thought, you know, I, I've got to figure out another game plan. I had some great gigs and some great, great performances, but I just didn't feel like as welcome as I think I would have, um, liked to feel. But I sort of got into like the indie rock scene and all of a sudden I was like, Oh yeah, this is obviously (laughs) for me. You know, I started doing like the singer, singer songwriter thing. And, um, yeah, that sort of just snowballed and like one band would like lead to another and even like the ones that didn't pay very well and you're like just totally, you know, like there's there'd be like four of us in a hotel room like this and right. you're just like sleeping on the floor and doing like little van tours and it's like you're really, really, you know, just... It, it was really tough. It was. But it's I think tough something like that, like what you're more. talking about with networking, your one thing leads to another, and I right. think any musician yeah. will tell you that. But I do think, like going back to the point of college, you know, a lot of guys who didn't go to college will really, you know, kind of look down and go, you, you know, college is a waste of time. You right. know, you should take lessons with great teachers and practice and go to shows. And it's like, well, you didn't go to college, so what do you know? Right. You know what I mean? You don't actually know. And honestly, for me, when I moved to LA, I didn't know anyone. And I knew no one. I knew one person. And I just knew that that's where it was going to happen. I had made a record out there. And I, I ran into a guy who was playing with this band opening for, like, a bigger band. And I, I walked up to him. And I just said, dude, you, you sounded fantastic. You know, my first week in town, he looked at me. He's like, dude, it's Luke. Luke Adams. And I was like, I my you. buddy from North Texas. I had no idea. <laughs> and as soon as I met Luke, I met, I, I suddenly knew 200 people. Right. Because now it was North Texas. You know, I went to a hang the next day with him. And it was all North Texas. And then the next thing, the same thing happened when I played a gig with, like, Jason Faulkner and Jeff Babco, who plays on the Jimmy Kimmel show. Mm-hmm. 
and I had played in the big band at University of Miami together. And Babco was at the show. He's like, dude, what are you doing in town? I can't believe it. you're with Jason Fault. He's like, you're in my band. You're playing in my band now. And next thing you know, I know all yeah. of Miami. Yeah. So now I know half of L.A. So the networking thing is you can't even put a price tag on that. College, if you go to the right school, mm-hmm. all those people. Right. That's what you're paying for. And on top of that, for me, I and no disrespect to my teachers who were the best, but I learned way more from being around those, those people in practice rooms and mm-hmm. standing outside of a dude's practice room like Keith Carlock from Steely Dan, you know, who was right down the hall from me. And he'd knock on my door and go, dude, what's the thing you're doing with the... And I'd be like, hey, how did you do that weird Tower of Power thing? And, and so I learned way more from going and seeing my... <clears throat> my fellow classmates. Right. And that was the biggest education I got from college. And that's invaluable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if someone says college is a waste of time, they're probably somebody who didn't go to college or they didn't go to the colleges that they should have. Right. And so I don't regret any of that. Both those schools prepared me ex- perfectly for where I am. And I wouldn't be here if it weren't for It's that. true. Because like, there's times where I say like you have to unlearn the things that you learned Certainly. in college. There's it's that like, too. Because you have to get out of your head. You have to stop thinking about everything in a box. There's patterns and this and that. It's like... Just use your ears. You, like, uh-huh. feel, you know, and learn to, like, have chemistry. Well, I guess that's really something you can't really learn. It's either you have it or you don't. But um, a lot of the theory is, like, stuff you have to sort of learn to, like, leave at the door and just use your ears. She, she's absolutely right. That's the other thing. That is the, one of the things about college. You learn so much because you're there. You know, they're going to teach you so much more than you actually... But that's the point is you're, you're over-prepared. And right. a gig like this gig, I feel like I'm using everything... You know, I almost joke about the college I went to at North Texas, especially you become a Navy SEAL right. in percussion. And so I'm ready to do anything, whether it's jump out of a plane, swim up with a knife in my mouth. I'm going to get the job done. But a lot of my buddies who end up getting one style of gig, they have all these skills, but they just use one their whole career, which is great. Um, in my case, I've been able to like jump around, which is something I always wanted to do. And I'm able to use all those skills that I learned. And on this gig, you learn all those skills you have to yeah. use all yeah, those skills in them. one. It's it's really yeah. it takes everything I ever learned. I think to really authentically play each one of these different styles. It's interesting to hear you say that you kind of went into this career wanting to jump around. Were you the same way? Did you want to lock into you know create a band and create something, or were you just happy to? find the opportunities where they well, presented themselves. I could already see that like just watching my bass mentors, like each one of them had, you know, so many notches on their belt and it's like they already told me like to survive in this business, you've got to be able to play everything cuz someone might call you for a jazz gig, someone might call you for, you know, an R&B project or whatever it might be. You've just got to have so many different skill sets and be able to play each one confidently. So I didn't Really, and that was the sort of the beauty of going to Cal Arts, a school like that that was very free. I didn't have to sign up for like one genre, you know. Even though I had a focus on um, Afro-Cuban music, I was still there doing like blues ensembles right. and a little bit of everything, doing different types of world music and and jazz. And and that's it's funny to say that I have a, a jazz. Um, degree and it's like that's like one of the genres I probably play the least right now but it's really useful to have all of that theory now like even when we're playing these songs and they'll be like okay well we're gonna um, play this song up a half step or down a half step or whatever it is to be able to transpose something quickly if you don't have an extra instrument there's just certain things that you'll pick up from those experiences and that theory that you will eventually find very useful you know so I'm grateful for that you know I, th- I say, like, you know, I was a freelance drummer in high school. <coughs> I was playing five different gigs, and every gig was different. 
So I realized early on, like, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Mm -hmm. And I never had the goal of, I mean, if, uh, you know, I guess if I'd fallen into like Lincoln Park, I wouldn't complain because it's obviously a very wealthy and successful band, whatever. But I do feel that I would, I would not be nearly as satisfied as I am. I granted you have to kind of hunt for your food (laughs) and people don't realize that, that the downtime is, is, you know, the, the highs are really high, but the lows can be really low, Mm -hmm. you know, and you've got to prepare for that. And that's where you save, I always save half of everything I ever made or more. And that way, if I'm not working, I can, I, I've always been able to float for about five years. Was that a hard lesson to learn or did, nope. you, did you learn no. it early? No, my smart. dad was a sculptor, but he was very pragmatic, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, was also an educator. So I knew that I, you know, in undergrad in education, I could teach if I had to. Mm-hmm. But no, I always knew that like there was a, to, a means to an end. I had to be able to float because it's the people who don't plan ahead. Right. And then they have to go work at Starbucks or something else that pulls them out of the scene. Right. And then to get back in is even harder. So to me, I always wanted to be able to hang and have that bread. So while I was making bread, I was always saving it, which is usually a hard lesson for people mm-hmm. well, to learn. Young, young people. I yeah. think so. But to me, you know, I feel like, honestly, I think the best thing is to, like you're saying, be over-prepared so yeah. that you're ready for anything. Right. And to me, it was always my mantra with drum clinics is diversity and adaptability. Those are the two reasons why I've, if, if someone asks, that's why I think I've worked. Mm-hmm. And to me, that the more adaptable you are and the more diverse you are, you know, basically you're all, there is no comfort zone. You're right. always out of your comfort zone. And then if you take any gig and you're prepared for any gig, then there is no comfort zone anymore. And everything is game. Right. If that makes sense. So to me, taking a gig like Marilyn Manson, I wouldn't consider myself a metal drummer, but I had to be one. Mm -hmm. And so after that two years of Marilyn Manson, now I I feel like I joke, I have a master's degree in metal. (laughs) Right. And with Foreigner, I have a master's degree in classic rock. Right. You know, with Cher, I don't know. I have a master's degree in, I guess, theater meets, you know, show meets everything. (laughs) But, you know, it's like each one of those gigs to me is like I've earned a new degree. Yeah. Because it's the same thing. And you have a whole network of, of new tour managers and new, um, you know, new, you know, networking of people yeah. and networking of, of, of how things work. And, you know, mm-hmm. to me, if I had just done one gig, I think I'd be, I wouldn't, I'd be, uh, I wouldn't feel as like, I guess, satisfied as I yeah. do. Yeah, each one sort of like feeds a different part of like your musical soul. It's right. like, I didn't even know that like I had this really like hard rocker inside of me until I played with Filter and all of a sudden I'm like, you know, like, you know, thrashing my head around and stuff. It just feels so great to be on stage and it's like, I've never like been that bass player who gets up and is like headbanging and like going home with like, you know, some sort of like... (laughs) Neck injury. Yeah, (laughs) But you you admit though that there is the downtime with that. So it's sexy for some people who like say have a gig like like Lincoln Park, but then they just know one way of doing things. And granted, that's a very successful band or friends of mine were more freelance rather than a band member like say a guy who's my buddy Jim Riley was in the Rascal Flats. He's been in that band for 20 years and that's what he does. That's it. And so he's never had to deal with another manager never deal with another tour manager with us it's like coming into this you have a brand it's like meeting the parents every time and then you have to meet the girlfriend and the dude and find out how this guy does it this way and this tour manager don't ask him about that you know or before he has his coffee or you know what I mean you have to navigate a whole new world so in a weird way it's a lot more work yeah. But to me, it's satisfying to be able to say, yeah, I, I've been able to do all these different things and use those skills or develop those skills. Say yes to everything, even if you're not really like, you know, and, and, and that's, that's been the name of the game. And the more diverse you are and the more you, you know, the more you can adapt. Yeah. And then the more you work. It's funny that 
using the terminology of master's degree and heavy metal and master's degree <laughs> classic rock is that part of your your college lecture because that really articulates yeah yeah definitely very, absolutely very concisely yeah um were there any hard lessons to learn leaving school, starting professionally? I know you, you had a pretty good opportunity with Juliana Hatfield. Yeah, was that, but you that know, was that was a hard lesson. I basically, that lesson, we all got fired. I got fired from that gig right away. I was telling you this story the other day. Um, a friend of mine recommended me the gig. Juliana, God bless her, had, uh, you know, kind of had a little bit of a setback because the record didn't do well and she didn't handle it well. And she basically, after what was supposed to be a gig that went, for like six months suddenly became a gig that lasted a month. Right. And she said, I, you know, my, my doctor says I need to go back to my original band so I can have stability. <laughs> that, I, I wasn't ready for that. Right. But what was amazing is a friend recommended a lawyer because they wanted to just pay me. Um, and the joke is I kept saying to her, I want a contract. I want a contract to the manager. And he was like, we don't really do contracts. I've since learned that really a contract basically does not, is never in your favor. A contract will always be in the favor of the artist, right? And that's why you have a contract. Not for you. Yeah, it's for them, them to yeah. say, thank you very much for playing. Here's two weeks severance, yeah. right? Yeah. Not the whole tour that we just that you were planning on that we mm -hmm. bagged out on. So in that case, this I, a friend of mine recommended a lawyer. I didn't know. It never occurred to me to have a lawyer. And they were going to pay me two weeks pay instead of this like six months. I had left college early. Long story short, the lawyer was a real hot shit lawyer and made one phone call as a favor to this guy who got me the gig and I got paid for the entire summer. Okay, that's good. You see what I'm saying? So that was yeah, a yeah. hard lesson to learn uh, and it was, and, and I think it's been a great lesson to learn because I got fired and getting fired is like a great thing to happen <laughs> to a young player so because true. you learned to, to thicken your skin. It right. wasn't all about me. Yeah. I ended up playing on a Juliana Hatfield record called Beautiful Creature a few years later. She just, you know, it was just where she was. It wasn't me as much and the thing that happens is you get thicker skin and you you persevere and you move forward. You watch the, the what's the documentary? Um, Hired Gun. Hired Gun. And you hear about the dude from Billy Joel who kills himself because yeah, yeah. he gets fired. Yeah. Because that band was coddled. They had 30 years of being, right? Yeah. So, I, that's my only problem with that is they didn't talk to everybody. They should have talked to us about that because I would have said, listen, it's good to get fired because it hurts. Yeah. But you, you develop this you know, a, a way to deal with that. You develop an immunity to that, realizing that it's not always you. It could be the singer or the singer's girlfriend who's hanging, who's talking about you too much at dinner, <laughs> and then suddenly you're fired. You see what I mean? And then, I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, these are all hypotheticals, but my point is, is that um, that dude never knew, he never knew what it was like to be told, you know, you're out in the cold, and it hit him really hard. Do you maintain a relationship with a lawyer or have some sort of representation? Uh, definitely. How about you? I don't. Me? Yeah. It's funny because I've asked that question a number of times, and a lot of people do are looking out for themselves. You know, mm -hmm. their their own schedule, their their own you know, booker and I guess hustler. Um, on the subject, so did you make a scene? You were in Boston, and I also noticed you were with Letters Letters to Cleo mm -hmm. and American Hi-Fi. Were those Boston yeah. bands? And those that, were so did you? Did you I stayed. You make, so, you, so I stayed. You I actually got scene. my first record deal. I, I came to Boston. One of my best friends, a guy named Phil Hurley, showed up at the airport to pick me up, and he had a cassette of a four-track, and he said, here, this is the band you should be playing in, but I know you're going to play on a tour bus and go do this fancy tour. And he was in a band locally that was signed to, like, MCA, but he gave me this little cassette, and I listened to it. It was, like, beautiful music. There's a guy named John Dragonetti, 
as soon as Juliana went south, I got a call from Drown Dragon Eight. He said, hey, I hear you're available. We had met. We hit it off. I loved his music. He was kind of playing drums and everything kind of... It was like Beck, before Beck. Right. <laughs> and it was really great music and eclectic. And so I got, literally went right from Juliana to him and got to, we got signed to Sony Publishing, got a publishing so I didn't have to work. We got a little publishing check that John got that he doled out to this trio. And then we got a record deal with A&M Records. And we got corded and flown out to L.A., which is what brought me to L.A. And through that, I meet Stacey Jones, who plays in the lyrics to Cleo. And so when he goes to do Veruca Salt, I slide into sub for him. Down the road, Stacey becomes the singer of American Hi-Fi. And his drummer decides he wants to raise a family instead. And I get hired for American Hi-Fi. So, yeah, all that happens through mm-hmm. that. And, I, and with that, I got to have that, scratch that itch of having my my record deal and my band. Right. And it was great. But, of course, you know, with all that optimism comes the, the hard the reality, yeah, the hard reality, <laughs> and, I, and of that, I had three record deals, and everyone was like, "They," but they paid my way for like two or three years with each gig. I had a salary, and young players are never going to have that opportunity, mm. right? So it's all positive. You see what I mean? Even the negatives yeah, of that, so you true. learn, and that pushed me into becoming a freelance drummer. By the time I hit thirty, I was like, yeah. "Okay, I had three record deals. I saw how that worked. That was great. I satisfied that with myself of having the band going on the right. road for my band." And then it was like, now I want to make some real bread and have consistency and control, have a little more control of my life. Yeah. Ash, how about you? Were you, and forgive me if this is not accurate information, but you were part of Great Northern. I was going to talk about that. Was that was like my first rock band that I ever sort of got a taste of what it's like to tour. And that was a band I was talking about, like, where there's like four people in one hotel room. And that for me was like my first baby where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm on a record. And this is so exciting. I'm like, this is the dream, you know? And I got fired from that, and it was so devastating that, and I totally didn't see it coming. I almost became a librarian. After that, I was like, you know, screw music, I'm going to just go. What was the timeline? Were you in it for a good I was in it for a good, like, year and a half, about. And um, it was just, to me, I'd never been fired from anything in my life. So that, it was like, it felt like a divorce, you know. Um, But learning how to, like, you know, pick yourself up and move on is, is... that is the reality of this industry. That is an invaluable lesson. Yeah, and the totally. more it happens to you, the more you just don't let it, you just let it roll off your back. You have you to eat a lot of dirt in this industry. I mean, basically, you, don't, you, you have so little control. In general. Yeah. I think as a freelancer, you have so little control over so you know, the, and so when I do tell students the things you do have control over, like being prepared, being thorough, doing your research, you have control over those things, practicing, you know, do that because that's all you have control over. At any moment, the bottom can fall out. The fact that this Billy Joel band had no idea that that could happen, yeah. it's kind of, I hate to say it, it's slightly pathetic that they're so woe is me and even to the point of, I, sorry, I, I don't need to be insensitive, but it's like, dude, like seriously, like you never thought this could end? You know, yeah. it's like, no, that's, we are, I mean, we both are realistic in that this could end tomorrow. And yeah. with that, tomorrow's show, we're going to play like it's our last show because we know it can end. Mm-hmm. And I won't, it won't bother me because I've saved half my bread. Yeah, and you, you know, <laughs> you remember that feeling, and it's just like you, you, like you said, you just grow a tough skin and you learn that that, could, that can happen again. So next time it does happen, if it ever does, it's not a surprise. It's like, oh yeah, I, you know, you just have to. And, you're, and you, you've survived after exactly. so many firings or whatever, and you go like, okay, next, let's do it next, and then there'll be another gig. And yeah. you have to be positive too. That's one thing I remember with when I was playing with Chris Cornell, and it was ending for a while we'd done three years and it was like and the bass player it was his first big gig and he was just like terrified i remember one of the guitarists you know for all of us that was a big gig you know we were kind of coming into our own but i remember him turning to him and he said like you know 
you've been working up to now, you'll just keep working. You'll right. get another job. And sure <laughs> enough, that dude plays with Neil Young now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, that, and, and every one of those guys in that band is, has landed on their feet time and time again. So it's just it's a matter of positive thinking, not thinking the gig's ending and, oh, shit. But there will, you have to tell yourself, and I have to remind myself, there will always be another gig around the corner. Mm-hmm. But you have to tell yourself that. And I do believe that there is an art form in in manifesting that. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think positive energy, not to sound like she-she because I'm not that dude, <laughs> but I do believe that the gigs I've played I've are all bands I like and mm-hmm. all bands I'm proud of and all band music that was good because I... I I moved in that direction and I planted seeds because I wanted to go. And if you, I'll tell students, it, if you don't know who you want to play with, it's going to be a lot harder to get there, mm-hmm. you know? And, and even to the point of like literally specifying which band, you know, I had Chris Cornell's Euphoria Morning in my car a month before. I don't know why I pulled it out. It was in my car a month before I got that audition, you know? So... And, and and so I think there's something about that. Or I'm playing tennis with Mike Bluestein from Foreign, and right. he's talking about Foreign. I'm like, dude, I love that band, man. If that, you know, if Tishy ever leaves, man, keep me in mind. And sure enough, yeah. like a month later, I get a call, and or I get a call like maybe two weeks later, and he's calling. I'm like, wow, maybe Tishy's leaving. He's like, hey, you want to play tennis again? I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. But you know, and then two yeah. weeks after that, I get a call, and Tishy's leaving. So it's a matter of like pushing, right? Pushing your destiny in that direction. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of players don't realize that. And I had a guy say, well, you've done all these gigs a couple of years ago. What would you want to do now? And I honestly didn't have an answer for yeah. once because I'd done all these cool <laughs> ass gigs. <laughs> and I thought, I mean, to me, I'm not saying to other people, I'm not bragging. Yeah, yeah. I don't care about anybody else from now on. It's about me. Am I satisfied? You know? And I said, you know what? To be honest, I guess if I had to pick somebody, I'd like to play with like a classic killer artist who's like on their victory lap, who right. doesn't worry about money. Who doesn't worry about fame and is doing it for all the right reasons and is going to be, you're going to be up on stage with them for the same reason. And I meant like, I threw out like Bob Dylan, Neil Young, and here we are with somebody else who share who fits that category. So in a weird way, I kind of manifest, I feel like, you know, I threw that out there too. It's pretty amazing. Now you're... I perceive your resume, you know, like you said, you had record deals, you had, you know, I I, I knew of Letters Letters Clear, I I knew of all those bands. Mm You going the indie route, what would you say was your kind of big breaker of stepping stone that kind of took you, you know, to the next level or at least got you maybe better? Um, Adam Lambert was my first sort of like, you know, big artist that I ever played for. And that was, um, I did that audition. It was like a a friend of mine from like high school days and college days had recommended me for that audition. And, um, it was like a smaller audition. It wasn't like a huge open cattle call. Okay. And when I got that, it was just, that for me was the stepping stone that like led to my next big yeah. pop audition with CeeLo Green. Um, Cause the timeline to that was he just, you know, he burst on the scene with American Idol. Was that, right. was like right on the heels? Like he got a it band was just, together? It was like a, or? it was after that cycle. He'd, okay. he'd already done, um, one tour cycle, and then um, I, I think he had a couple of members that went off to like do other gigs. His uh, his guitar player went to go play with Madonna, mm-hmm. and his bass player moved over to the guitar chair. So he had a bass opening, and I just kind of slid right in. Perfect timing, and it was an amazing experience. Like it was my first time. You know, when you're playing a, for me, like playing an indie band, I just kind of like stand and deliver. Like I wasn't like a crazy. You know, I'm not like super animated on stage the way some people are, but um, 
it was the first time I'd actually seen a guitar player next to me just like going bonkers. And I'm like, whoa, that's what I'm supposed to do? <laughs> and all of a sudden I was like, wow, I kind of learned, I kind of like realized like you can move around the stage, you can like live on stage, right. you know? So I kind of got like my, my rock legs, you know, sort of learned how to perform, you know, which is a funny thing you don't think about when yeah. you're in college, like performance, because you're getting a freaking performance degree, right. but you're just learning to be a player. That, that's interesting to hear because I spoke to, um, you know, a backup singer, you know, for Cindy Lauper, and she did stuff with, you know, the big benefit concerts for 9-11 behind Roger Waters. And that was my question to her. Oh, wow. her was like, do you get directions on how to move? You know, <laughs> I've you, never gotten they it. they tell you to kind of, you know, keep, stay in the background or, you I know. imagine in some situations there's probably artists that are like, hey, this is my stage. Right. Like, you know, but I've never actually been in one of those. It's always just been like really, it's nice when it's organic. You know, you don't want to be like, okay, now I'm playing in a rock band, so I'm going to like headbang. But if it, if it feels like something that feels natural, go for it. But you again, know? I think that's a good point because it is one of those things that no one ever talks yeah. about. Yeah. I've you, never talked about that to anybody. You only learn it. Certain gigs, I think, you know, make sense. I know all my body language or how I play. I'll always be kind of animated because it's a kind of a, a, a stroke that you know, as a drummer, yeah, your yeah. stroke kind of dictates your motion. But I use my body to time, which that mm -hmm. you know that also comes into play and makes it look like I'm rocking out. But I'm really just physically doing it, and I'll do the same motions when I'm rehearsing as I will when I'm playing the show. You know, mm -hmm. it's like physically for me. But I think that's a good point because nobody. I've never been asked. Are you animating yeah. yourself differently for a Marilyn Manson than you are for a Cher? Well, yeah. Well, Marilyn Manson, I have, like, wings on. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's like, totally you know, different. So, yeah, it is kind of... You know, but to be honest with Manson, I played quieter because half the drums were triggered. So it required oh, yeah. less of a stroke, but I looked like I was playing... I was I was exaggerating my the stroke I would normally use, right. but actually not hitting nearly as hard because I didn't hard. have to. With, like, yeah, just to kind of V-animated, but it didn't matter because I was in the dark anyway. He just lit yeah. himself. We all had to like get dressed in all these cool outfits and then he just only lit himself. So it yeah. didn't matter what you did with this gig, you know? Uh, I want to move into like uh, what I'm calling like supplemental opportunities. And sure. I know both of you... Oh man, you, he's you, the king of that. You did. Well, yeah, <laughs> AI, you were in AI. Yeah. Okay, and yeah. you did a TV thing with Adam with uh, Pretty Little Liars, was it? Oh yeah, that, that was... Um... Like a little one-off thing. Right. We were just like an episode of Pretty Little Liars. But did that require, did you get a SAG card or, I mean, was that? I really? can't remember if I ever did SAG, but did, I, I don't think it, it was a SAG thing, but I got a nice check from it. You know, there, there, were a couple, question, there were a couple things that we'd done with him that, um, you know, any time you get a nice check anytime you play on like a, like Ellen or, you know. You? I thought that was all promotional, like, um... I mean, I, I, I no, know. they pay you for I, for a yeah. TV show. It's not oh, a great check, right. but it's an okay check. But you know, for for Ellen, I think we just got paid once. But if you do like the Tonight Show, like you know, the Tonight Show will air like all over the world, like right, four right. or five times. So you get a check for like two hundred and fifty bucks. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a ton, but that adds up if like, you do like five shows, and, yeah, and that can happen. So it's not a ton of bread, but you get bread. But you if you're bread. singing, if you're doing backup vocals, that now that's an extra. Yeah, I think that might be like after. Or yeah, something. and that could be five hundred, seven hundred bucks. And usually on every one of those shows, they'll pick an MD, and an MD will get a con usually yeah. double. Right. Yeah. And in some gigs, if there isn't an MD, it's like, you be the MD this gig. Yeah. And, uh, or <laughs> some gigs, like, you don't, you're not a singer, and they'll be like, the drum will be like, hey, give me a mic. Right? Right. And then just, you know, pretend to sing and get an extra paycheck. <laughs> that happens, too, I think. Mm -hmm. you that's know? interesting. I think that, that's a different thing. But sadly, another business thing in here is that most bands, definitely all country bands, if you go play on a TV show, they don't pay you. 
So say you're playing with some country band and you fly to New York to play on Jim on uh, I don't know say say if it was Letterman they they wouldn't they country bands would be like why you don't why get not? paid why the genre they just, why the they, separation because they genres? well it's just country music has always kind of been a little lopsided I don't know why <laughs> don't ask me it was but like the shaft it is it's true and anybody <laughs> so will tell you that yeah really? yeah, yeah, yeah anybody will tell you that they, you make less money in Nashville or country music and it's it's a model that is is frighteningly becoming more and more accepted across across the board but um, at the end of the day they. Would would fly them up, but they wouldn't get paid by the band that they're in. They get well, you, you just get paid by the, the two hundred and fifty bucks you get for the show. Right, Jeez. that's crazy. Whereas that never was the case in any rock gig I did until recently, and now that's happening. Mm-hmm. That's happening in rock gigs. You know what I mean? It's across the board. It was like, when did that happen? You used to get paid by the band because it was promo for them. You were working for, say, Chris Cornell. I always got paid by Chris Cornell, and I got paid by. Jay Leno. Right, the network, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, those days. So it just goes to show it's just like everything to whittle down yeah. is just getting... And yeah. so management's making more money, and the artist is making more money, and you're not. Yep. And that's a harsh reality, you know? Yeah. So before we leave that, the AI, how did that come about? You, I was... Um, you know, I was just, you know, I, I moved to L.A. and, you know, went in Rome. There was like a million people, and you know, it's like a, somebody was like, oh, you know, you should... You know, get you know, get into the acting thing. Why not? You know, you have a look, and my friend had a somebody who was like you, and you're animated, and you'd probably be great. And I was like, okay, so I, and I just you know, so I started doing some reading, whatever, and I went and I met with this cast, uh, this uh, manager, and she sent me to, down to do a couple castings, and um, she said, you know, if, if this works out, I'll represent you, and I end up getting the commercial agent and the theatrical agent by reading a side like a, for a Burger King for. Right. The, commercial like here it is go read it. it's stupid but it was like why not you know and i had no gigs i just moved to town i had nothing happening and uh the ai thing came through man through my management because they saw i guess there was a connection they wanted something like a blue man group connection i had taught the blue man group. right um so i taught them like the drummer the, the blue men to drum you know and um it, they wanted like a blue man themed drumming, but they w- they were hiring actors who may or may not be drummers. Drum, yep. And so, because I had representation, I was hired as an actor. And they they said we want to see you play. And I sent in. I was saying it's I had a V. This is two thousand, right? Two thousand <laughs> Betamax or VHS? Yeah, I sent a VHS <laughs> in of my graduate recital, which is like timpani, right? You know, th- for for you know, a four movement timpani piece and a multi percussion, a Frank Zappa piece and a marimba, you know. And I sent that in. And I still have it as a DreamWorks little sticker on it. And Stephen loved the performance, so and cute. we absolutely loved it. Thank you so much. You know, really impressive. It was like weird, and I'd still have it stuck to my graduate recital VHS. And I got hired on the gig, and it was Steven Spielberg directing, and it was Janusz Kaminski, like the what seven-time winning director or uh, cinematographer, filming. And you know, it was you know, I was saying ET was being reissued at the time. It was or being what? Yeah, 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 remastered, come opening in theaters again. And like Spielberg walks in with like a couple like products that they were like showing (laughs) to like OK, and it's like you see this guy holding this this little stuffed animal, and it's just like holy shit this is like really heavy and and watch him work and Haley Joel Osment's like we're throwing the football when he's still little and cute yeah, and yeah. Jude Law is sitting across mm. from me at you know we're eating catering we're there for a month you know and so anyway that was kind of cool but goofy you know completely mm-hmm. goofy and I'm in it for like a split second but 
I still get royalties. I have one in my wallet, actually. So a royalty check for, let me see it. But I, it, I need to do that. 34 cents? For, no, or it's it? actually for exactly $9.43 so from Warner Brothers, from AI. That's <laughs> oh actually gosh. in my wallet that I'm carrying around that I need to check, that's to awesome. cash. But I made a lot of money when it first came out. But that's just like silly stuff. Right, right. Yeah. And as soon as I did that, you know, I had done a bunch of videos, music videos, and like, you know, goofy other things I was cast for and paid. Did you do a Burger King spot? No, I never did that. That's, I just had to read that for the uh, representation. <laughs> I have an advertising background. I, I had that as an account once. That's funny. <laughs> but no, so that's just goofy. But that but, is the reality of supplement, supplemental income is that it, it's not always music related. You yeah, know, yeah. it's like I've been everything from like a dog walker, a babysitter, a house sitter. Like I've done every type of sitting you could possibly do because like our our touring life comes in seasons you know it's like all of a sudden it's the winter season and everyone's just off the road and it's like okay you're twiddling your thumbs like how am I going to pay my rent it's like okay well I'm going to go work for WAG or whatever you know clever job you can come up with it's you know if you're able to do some but that was just like goofy that was like a Goofy yeah. jokes, silly, like whatever. When in Rome, I'll just do this until, and then, and then as soon as that ended, I thought, okay, and then, then, sl- then all of a sudden, my career, my drumming career, kind of kicked back in because I was new to LA mm-hmm. and I didn't really know anybody. Like yeah. I said, so as soon as that was like a short-lived little thing, and as soon as I did that film, it's like, okay, it's a Stanley Kubrick film, the final Kubrick film directed by Steven Spielberg. I'm good. Right. Yeah, I'm yeah. good. I'm out. Like there's nowhere to go but down. Yeah. So you yeah. know, I've been there for a split second, but hey, who cares? It's funny, but. But yeah, but I mean, I think maybe more of what you're talking about as far as supplemental income, the reality is, is I think for everyone, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe yourself included, everyone in the future is going to have three jobs. You know, a nurse is going to have to be a plumber too. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's like coming down the pike. If you're, if you look ahead, that's where it's going. That's Mm -hmm. where our society is going, you know? And with that, I think musicians are going to be way ahead of the curve. Because we're basically like cockroaches and can survive anything, <laughs> you know? And with that, it's like, okay, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do this. And, and many go into real estate, which is a lot, you know, I think many go into, uh, there's a lot of voiceover guys. It's amazing how yeah. many people I know mm-hmm. do voiceover, even on the smallest level. And they do that in between playing gigs, you know, and, yeah. in LA. Yep. Um, but it's, I think, you know, there's a lot more than just like, say, acting or, or, you know, some goofy yeah, yeah. like that. There are very real things that musicians do to supplement their income nowadays because, especially because most musicians don't have pensions and right. won't have pensions, you're responsible to set yourself up to have. And with that is a secondary, you know, what else am I going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, What do you guys do for healthcare? Like in terms of like insurance? Are you just on your I have a, basically, I'll just answer real quick because I knew yours I have Obamacare. Little, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess that, that. But then it's, it's, I'm like right at that, that cusp where it's like, okay, that's going to end because once you're in a certain bracket, right. you don't really. So you, you know. become too successful. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> a, I'm right at that point where right. it's like, okay, well, I actually have to find another plan right now. Right. And it's like. Which will be much more expensive, I assume. Yeah, absolutely. So that's one of those like harsh realities. No, I mean, it's it. very scary. And a lot of people in our business tend to overlook that shit, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, that's not something you can overlook because if you're not able to stay in the game or be healthy, you're out. Right. You know what I mean? No different than what I was saying before is if you don't save up your bread enough and you're working at Starbucks, you're out, mm-hmm. you know? And, but my thing, I just have like, I bought like disaster insurance, you know? So it's like a $5,000 deductible. And I bought this like 14 years ago. And I'm so glad because basically my deductible is very low or I mean my, uh, my monthly payment is very low and you know, I basically every year I try, I try to go, I do go to a urgent care 
Mm-hmm. I get blood work done. I make sure I'm, you know, everything's cool. So I'm like, I'm responsible. I have to kind of pick up the slack. Right. And I pay for that. But it's a fraction of what I'd be paying for if I had like regular health insurance. And my agent even said like her 90-year-old dad signed me up. And it was very reasonable. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to, if if all hell breaks loose, I'm covered. Mm-hmm. But until then, I'm going to have to pay for every little visit, which I don't do often, thank God. Right. But it's a higher deductible though, isn't it? It's, it's $5,000, you yeah. know. But I've never had to use it yet. Yeah. Knock on plastic. Yeah. But, um... <laughs> That said, when his he died, and his his daughter you know, became my. She said, "Whatever you do, do not ever let that lapse." Mm-hmm. She's like, "Because no one can buy that anymore." Right. She's like, "So hold on to that for the rest of your life." And my deductible is my my payment is laughable. It's laughable for someone my age right. as a male. It's like a joke. So I actually lucked out. It's only a matter of time, I'm sure, till somebody comes along and says, "You know, you can't have it anymore because, you know, whatever." But. Do you find yourself passing this knowledge on to, I mean, your peers? Oh, dude, you have no idea how many people I sent to that 90-year-old guy. It's like, listen, no, it's like, if you're serious, you know what I mean? I'm hanging out, you're serious. At one point, it's like, listen, dude, grow up. If you're serious, you need health care. You need it now while you're 24, mm-hmm. not when you're 34 and it's going to be a higher bracket. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is all like big picture shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? For me, it's a curse. I have some friends who literally they can only see the next tomorrow. For me, it's been a curse, but by looking in the long haul, like how long is this journey going to last, then you start making preparations. You start laying down a foundation. So when you're 65, all hell doesn't break loose yeah. and everything you work for is shot to shit. Yeah. I hate to sound like crass about it, but it really is like brass tacks. It's like you, yeah. you're you're paying attention to this whole big picture and you're covering your ass because like you said, we're our own manager, mm-hmm. promoter, health care, you know, all these things. If we're not paying attention to it, unless you're married to somebody and they're paying attention to it for you, which is not in my case, Mm -hmm. then no one is going to be looking out for you. And if you're not looking out for you, you're taking yourself, you you run the potential of taking yourself out of the game. And if you're serious about this shit, you better be serious about this shit. That's really an issue across the board. I I would assume more so with musicians and freelance musicians like, like yourselves, but I think a lot of people don't know how to handle money. Just from just from an early just in 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 forward looking. For me, I think the thing I think about, which we've talked about, for Mm -hmm. me, the big picture is when I was growing up and I was young. My father's a sculptor, but he's an educator. He was, Mm -hmm. you know, at the state university school and had a has a great pension. Lives like a king, you know. Um, And he was able to make art, so he was able to kind of do both. But by being a freelance musician, you're kind of throwing it all in. You know what I mean? And for me, the one thing I remember being young is constantly hearing like, yeah, you can be a musician. And even if you're, but even if you're successful, so many musicians end their careers in squalor because they don't pay attention or they don't look ahead. They're only looking one step ahead. And that was something I just promised myself I would never, maybe it's it's fear-based, but I Mm -hmm. promised I would never be in that position where all this that I worked for and enjoyed goes down the tubes when I'm 70 and and can't afford to stay, to, to live comfortably. Mm-hmm. And then, then, then you regret it. I don't want to regret any of this. I want to be able to, you know, look back on this and say, yeah, it was all worth it, and be able to have a quality of life like a doctor or a fireman or somebody who has a pension where they don't have to sweat bullets mm-hmm. when they're sixty-eight years old. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's my thing. So I've always been looking way out of of living a long time. My grandmother lived to be a hundred years old. That's a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right? And it's a long time to be not playing drums. Like maybe thirty <laughs> years of like 
how are you going to float? How are you going to keep this train rolling if you don't have a pension? You know, mm-hmm. how do you keep that going? Yeah, I was just having that conversation with one of my best friends the other day. We we she her name is Lucy Graves. She plays keyboards. Um, we used to play in Celo's band together, and we were just hanging out the other day. And I'm like, man, we made pretty good money that year. Like, what happened to all of our money? And we were trying to figure it out. And I'm like, I didn't buy anything crazy. I didn't get any, like, big gear or anything, No, right. any equipment. We ate it all. Are you serious? <laughs> we literally ate our, we ate our money. Like, we would go out to fancy dinners and... We were just, like, living the life of Riley on tour, and I think when we look back, and it's not just that. It's not like we were doing that all the time. The reality is when when you get home from tour, sometimes you'll have, like, two months without any work, and you're living off of everything you've made. So it's like you're a farmer. You're just, like, you know, surviving off of everything that you just work, your harvest, you know. And we just figured out, oh, my God, we just, we literally ate our money (laughs) that we made that year, you know. Now, where's, so where's, where's home base for you? L.A.? Yeah, Los Angeles. Born now, are you, are, are you ever worried that it's a, a, a high cost of living area? Oh, and, I'm you know. literally in the middle of examining that very closely right now. I'm, my goal is at, within the next year to move to Vegas. Okay. Because there's a whole energy and vibe out there. It's like... It's easy to network. Everyone's really cool. There's there's just a it's great community too. out there. Yeah, there's a lot of work. So it's usually affordable. And it's, it's super affordable. I mean, I've like I've, I spend most of my days like looking on Redfin at homes, and it's just unbelievable <laughs> what you can get for like you know two hundred fifty thousand dollars. You can get a three bedroom, two bath home with like garage and like you know community pool. It's just like amazing, yeah. you know. So that is. That's a, a going to be a big shift for me, I think, just going from, like, beautiful California to, like, the desert. But there's there's a lot of people doing that right now. You know, yeah. half pe- the people are moving to Nashville and, you know, figuring out their life out there. Some people going up to Portland and doing, you know, Airbnb up there. But uh, for me, I just think, like, the Vegas thing seem, makes so much sense. Yeah. We spend half of the year out there anyways doing our residencies. <laughs> Is that nice to do when you are you planted in one place oh for two, God, three weeks? It's like, dude, it's like you died and went to musician heaven. Oh, my God. I mean, right before that, I was playing with Dee Snyder, and we'd get on a plane, and we'd, we'd literally get on a plane and fly, you know, like, to Prague to play one show and get on a plane and come all the way home. It was like, kill me now. We're playing in front of, like, you know, we do, like, these huge festivals with Dee, and... You know, opening for like Aerosmith, and you go out there, and it's like you have you know, do a crappy line check in front of like fifty thousand people, and you're just like chasing cables and cords and trying to get your ears so you can hear the playback, and it's just like making talk about playing huge. I'm literally conducting people because no one can hear anything. Is the monitor guy's terrible? It was like literally going from one extreme to the other. You know, luckily D is so cool. He has such a great idea. Like, you're never going to be able to hear anything anyway. So just look good and smile and just yell and play hard. You know, it's a very positive way of looking at it, you know, for for how long he's been in the business. But from going from that, I literally flew from like a show in Germany with D. Snyder to Vegas. And it was like the most, it was the most, it's the most cushy, comfortable, wonderful. Our monitor guy is like, like he fell from the sky as like wings. He's like, here you go, like pixie dust and everything sounds great always. It's like all the the shit you had to deal with has now finally like faded away 
and how it should always be. Your gear sounds like just like you always want. And Cher does that two, three times a year, doesn't she? Yeah. Like that's four times. Jeez. I always feel guilty talking about it because people are like, "How is it?" And you're like, "It's the most amazing gig ever." And you like you you feel like like I don't like just to talk about like what it's really like. Well, we have three shows a week, and the other four like. You know, we're getting paid to like go hang out and shop and eat good food, and it's right. Like... <laughs> or, the, or the other side of it is like, don't tell anybody, but I'm a huge fan. Yeah. <laughs> don't say anything. We joke yeah. about it all the time. We're like, like even today, we're having lunch together. We're like, dude, we're getting paid to do this. Yeah. this is like crazy. You know, and I mean, with all that, like I, and I don't mean to sound like whatever, but I never have ever done a gig in this business to ever get paid. I never, I don't mean to sound like mm-hmm. righteous, but right. it's true. I'm playing the music. I've done the work. I, I enjoy the hell out of it. And it's always a byproduct. Mm-hmm. Always. I'm always surprised that someone pays me to do this. So I'm basically like, it's like, it just, you know, it's just like, it's my hobby and I enjoy it and I've worked really hard to do it. But the fact that we actually get paid and I actually yeah. have a couple houses and I have a, a stability, it's like, <laughs> it blows my mind at this point. And I'm like halfway yeah. through this whole thing and it's still like, I don't ever take it for granted. It yeah. is absolutely mind blowing when someone yeah. sends me a check. Even the 250 bucks from Ellen, because I just had the most amazing day yeah. playing on Ellen with great friends and great vibe, and Ellen was a doll, and the show turned out killer, and it's great promo, mm-hmm. and oh, and, oh, and here's 250 bucks, yeah, and even that, even that. though it's not that much money, it's just like it's it's outrageous, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but at the same time, it's like the risk you take doing this, because I, I, you know, at the same time, most of my friends from college are wildly successful. Mm-hmm. Most of them, if not, you know, like 80%. I'm so proud of all these guys who we all slugged it out. And I look around, I'm like, dude, we're d- doing it. Yeah. You That's know, you're putting your kid really through cool. a private school and you're, you know, and you're, you're playing your instrument. It's, it's incredible, you know. And, but at the same time, there's also a lot of people who, you know, don't get that. And maybe you have to, be, you know, move on. And maybe what was their part-time job becomes their full-time job. Yeah. And that, I totally get that. And so that's why when we're talking about these gigs. You don't take it for granted. You don't want to you know, whatever. But at the same time, to me, it is, it's just like, it's always a byproduct. So to me, as long as you're enjoying the music and you're enjoying who you're playing with, then everything else is going to fall into place. And if you're worrying about the money and you're worrying about the cash and you're worrying about your, how many hits you're going to get on Instagram, you're doing it for the wrong reason. And I hate to say it, but so many young people, I think with, with YouTube and with Instagram, they millennials. Well, I hate to say it, you know, and I I feel for millennials. Trust me. I'm on your side. If you're listening, Mm -hmm. I am. I mean, call me up. I'd love to help you out if I can. I always say that, but it is a rough, rough position yeah. that they're in but but I do feel like so many young players are so good because they have so much information it doesn't matter where you're from yeah but they're doing it often for the wrong reason a lot of people I meet they're great players they have all you know the kind of basic fundamentals but they never played in the garage band because they didn't really want to play with other people or they that wasn't the main reason and I feel like people from my generation old no um but like we all i did it for is like we played gigs in our garage because we wanted to because we love playing music yeah. yeah and that's and when you train and you learn like that not because you want a bunch of hits for the clip you put on that didn't even exist then yeah so yeah. none of that mattered that was all just like what that's just like so strange to me even now but of course i maintain an instagram account you have to but yeah. it's not like i do it for that mm-hmm. whereas i think some people do it for that they do it for the the, how much money they're making, how big their gig is, and those things to me, you'll never be satisfied. You'll always be look, you'll always be unhappy because yeah. you're not doing it for the for the right. music, which yeah. is really the only 
Well, and all of that is in flux. It always is going to be changing. You know, right. who you work for, how much you're making, it's always going to be changing. Mm-hmm. So if that's all that you're doing it for, then, yeah, like you said, it's, you're just going to be constantly yeah. wanting the next thing. And it's just... I mean, that's it. I don't want to go play a bar mitzvah. I don't want to haul my drums through a, through a uh, kitchen to play some shitty lounge gig. <laughs> Those days are over for me. But I did that, and I enjoyed the hell out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, I get, you know, I don't want to, you know, the hustle, I feel like the hustle is winding down for me personally, you know, but we're, there's a, you know, difference in age. So I know you, you know, for some people you're going to, you know, for me, I feel like I've, I feel very like fully cooked, you know, in a good way, not, not fried, but you know, good, satisfied. Good segue to my last question, which is followed by five kind of rapid fire questions. But the last question is (laughs) your, your post music life. Have you considered what's after you know, what is retirement to you? Or, you know, for instance, I know you're a baker on the side. Do you have <laughs> I actually, I do have to... a dream. I hope to never fully retire from music. I think most musicians, it's like in their soul and they'll like do it till they like die on stage. But um, I do hope to at some point have like, this is might sound really funny, but I want to have like a cupcake food truck. Yeah, Because I sure. love to bake. I love cupcakes. I love making you know, just things that make people happy. It's, a, it's like a smile and a little cake. I just love that. Um, and I think eventually motherhood, like I, I want to have one, like one and done. <laughs> that's it. Um, and, and that's a whole other thing because it's like, oh my gosh, trying to balance the road life right. with the reality of being a mother is terrifying to me. And I'm 36. So mm-hmm. that's a very scary prospect you know Mm -hmm. but at some point i'm gonna have to face the music and say all right well i'm gonna try and figure out this balance and you know we'll have to trade off you know between my husband and i will have to take turns being on tour you should follow um jason isbell and amanda shires on instagram they're that's that's exactly what their instagram is they've got a young daughter and it's like you know one of them's one of them's playing the other one's at home yeah yeah vice versa um Jason, how about you? Are you taking your art consultancy? Uh, yeah, you know, level? that's something that's really fun for me. You know, things like that, like with music for me, like I, I always love performing music because there's a kind of a gratification that you can get by playing for people. And that's really what it's about. So I love like with artwork where people are like, hey, how do I get beautiful artwork? It's like, oh, I can help you. I know these artists or these photographers and I can help you or consult and probably find a good place to get it. And so that's exciting to help mm-hmm. people like enjoy artwork and why would I buy that painting well here's a couple reasons you know or why would I buy that photograph and um that's really fun for me and it's just something that happened organically you know um but also like you know real estate you know I have a real estate license I've had a real estate license for 12 years I've never talked about I don't talk about it that much because at one point I was trying to you know a lot of people try to do too many things and you see on Instagram somebody does literally does like 10 things it's like dude (laughs) <laughs> slow down you know what I mean or have a separate page for each one of those yeah. things for me I never talked about it because it didn't really fit into the whole music thing and if anything it would distract people from me thinking of me as a drummer not a drummer who also sells houses right. but I do that just for fun you know and I've sold a lot of houses and I do it because it's the same thing you watch somebody like you know move into a home and they have this beautiful you know it's like a very satisfying feeling and I think as a musician a lot of musicians don't understand the what goes with it. And we were even talking, as Ashley's talking about buying, and I'll consult with people every day. I'll talk to somebody He about put houses. the fire under my butt. He's like, you got to invest. you got to get a house. I was like, all right. But I mean, even the Show details the about, way, about, about, talking about tax returns and things yeah, that yeah, most yeah. musicians don't realize. Like, if you write off too much, 
then yeah, you get a big government check, but then it looks like you made no money. And so when you go to buy a house to get a loan for two hundred fifty thousand, they're going to laugh you out of the building. Those kind of things that a lot yeah, of people, musicians, don't understand. But I feel like that's invaluable information because mm-hmm. you know without it, you, you, you know, the goal is to see someone and buy a house. Now, isn't all the satisfaction I would get from watching Ashley buy a house, or yeah. you know, somebody is is tremendous. Even if I'm not, I'm not getting a commission. I'm not again. I'm not doing it for the money. Right. When I sell a house to somebody and they send me a check, it's like what, <laughs> you know? But I love I love interior design. I love st- I love all those things. So that's something else that's really you know interesting to me. I have five rentals, you know, rental homes. Two I'm renovating in Joshua Tree, and three are in Nashville. And I bought those years ago because, again, I was thinking long term. Right. So to me, it's like I want to rent that out. I'm doing Airbnb with three of those in Nashville, and it's wildly successful. So you know, uh, I hope it keeps going. You know, and and then there's also equity that's built from that. And so that's just like a a fun hobby that you know you you know that that uh, is like a secret I'm trying to tell other people about. Right. Like, hey, you should. Think about buying a place, you know, if you're at an age, because it's one of the most important things I think you can do. And it provides you with stability. Yeah. And with stability, when you know your bills aren't going to change, then you have that retirement. You don't have those regrets. And then you can take these gigs and not take those gigs because yeah. you know that your rent is not going to go up or go down. You have stability. And I think as a musician, again, it's like, are you in this to win it or not? If you are, you're going to need to have that stability. So that's another thing that's fun for me. Um, but it's fun. Like music yeah. is fun. It's not a job. It's all side stuff. So will I keep playing drums? Sure. If I can, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like I, I feel like I'm playing better than I ever have, but you know, I'm also really excited about, you know, dealing with renovating homes and how I'm going to furnish them and providing Airbnb rentals. That really is a very satisfying thing. I know that people are staying in my homes, enjoying themselves and I'm, partly responsible for that you yeah. know so that's that's satisfying and, and and there are a million other things that i'm into you know that would probably take a long time that that <laughs> are fun that i may and i don't even know you only live once you know and yeah. i feel like not again not to sound like i don't know I, it's more like just the gratitude of it is i've very satisfied with the musical career i said i've lived it like five times over yeah. Like, I would never dream of having done all this shit. And if you told me when I was, like, 20 years old that this is my resume, I would, you know, I'd shit my pants, you know? <laughs> Sorry. But, but I mean, so the point is, is, like, at this point, it's like, okay, what else is there that really excites me? And there's a million things, from architecture to design to all those things. So, to me, I feel like I'd love to be able to take, I might have more to offer in other areas right. to provide, you know, the big picture over mm-hmm. the big picture than music at, in the future. And, uh, and it also, hopefully if, if it, you know, if it does pay, then that's another way of going. Yeah. 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 All right. So the final five, as I, as I branded it, first question is, uh, your house is on fire. Everyone you love is safe. Your pets are safe. What one possession do you go back to get? That's maybe music related. What's your most prized musical possession that you would go grab? Whether it's an artifact or a tchotchke or a memorabilia or an instrument. That's a tough one, man. <laughs> Such a tough one. I think I might grab my upright bass. It's probably the most valuable bass I own. It's my Ned Steinberger bass. It's like a five-string upright that just sounds... I mean, even our shares front of house guy has said it's the best-sounding <laughs> upright he's ever heard, That's which nice. is, like, huge. Nice to hear. I would say I would grab that because... I mean, I love all my electric basses, but I have so many of them, and I feel like I would grab that first. 
that's the only one I've got. <laughs> yeah, that's really tough because I'm a collector. You know, my dad was an antique collector. I collect all, everything in my house is old, one of a kind, and then artwork, you know? So I would probably, my dad's, I'd probably run in and grab, like, there are 10 pieces my dad gave me of a drawing mm-hmm. series uh, for, like, a housewarming, you know, gift when I bought them. I'd probably grab all 10 of those. Okay. You know, Anything music-related that you would... Uh... No. Go for it. No, because I honestly believe like instruments now, for the most part, are better than they ever were. I really do. Just you know, it comes down to you know, literally having to do this for a living. So I, I think the new stuff is. So I don't have any like, oh my god, that's my prize snare drum. Right. Or, you know, I, I I really just don't don't have any kind. I have really beautiful instruments that I love that are rare, but I'd let those burn over right. the. Mm-hmm. But and I don't mean I don't mean to push this question. We got to move on. But is there anything like? The laminate from the Chris Cornell, or, or just something that's you know, no, it's those representative memories, of you know, you know. I, I, we used to be a point, but those memories now will always you got you got them. Yeah, you can they're mine. Them. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah, I, I have, can all go. I have a painting that my very dear friend, an incredible artist, David Cho, painted for me. From it was a, a beautiful scene of like horses, and made it for me while we were on vacation in Hawaii. And he's just like such an incredible artist, and that would that to me is just priceless. Yeah. I would grab that yeah. for sure. Okay. Question two is, if I were at liberty to give you a check for a million dollars to then donate to one charity, which one charity would you give it to? I'd be like the SPCA. Oh, mine would be animal related too. <laughs> for sure. Do either one of you have pets? I, mean, I grew up with it's pets. It's got to be hard I mean, on the road. I'm going to go first because yeah. hers is going to be like a laundry list. <laughs> but like, I don't. But you know, we have a little dog. A couple, everyone on the road has these little dogs, which are great from our build, our, our tour account. Has this beautiful dog we watch grow up and one of the dancers and you know he's like sitting on my lap in our dressing room and so like I love 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 dogs but it's also just like having you know a baby at this point in my life it's like I'm, I'm not there I can't do it because I'm on the road and I'm I feel like I'm at the point where like it wouldn't have been fair to either you know sure. but mm-hmm. I'm almost at the point where soon I'll maybe I'll have a baby and maybe I'll have a dog you know so that's mm-hmm. that's my thing but I do believe that like you know the, the you know just animals are helpless and it's like I would rather in so many cases I'd rather give money to them than any other human charity. I hate to say it. I, you know, it's probably where I would go. It's common. It's a common answer. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of the same that way. I just my mom growing up, she worked at a veterinary hospital, so okay. we always had lots of pets. <laughs> so definitely something animal related. Um, there's a SOI. I don't know if it's Soy Dog Foundation, but they take in like really unfortunate mm. dog rescue dog rescues and I think it's South American based and it's just like such a wonderful foundation I see them on Instagram doing you know just yeah. finding forever homes for these dogs that would normally just be you know that would have no chance um, so it's probably something like that or something elephant related just <laughs> something elephant um, sanctuaries yeah something really cool like that but yeah I've always had lots of obscure animals like we had baby deer when I was really young which is yeah, it's awesome we'll talk about any kind of random thing she'll be like yeah I raised one of those yeah. she's like what how do you raise one of those it's like yeah I had those when they were like yeah, yeah I've had like ducks fed it with a dro- and, eyedropper or yeah. some crazy shit it's like wait a minute what? oh yeah I had um uh those little like uh flying squirrel guys yeah. oh my gosh. a little couple of those but um I I have technically one little chihuahua, but he lives with my mom mostly because okay. I'm on the road so much. So that's it is it's unfortunate that I'm not really able to have like my own dog living with me because I would you know have to be pawning it off to my mom all the time. And 
Um, she has her own animals, and he's kind of become part of her pack. So okay. um, maybe one day. That'll come but, with a few I mean, I just yeah. rescued a little guy who was in my front yard. It was very bizarre, and I called a great friend of mine, Kelly King, who's a great drummer, who literally gives like a bunch of his income to like you know it's so so respectable it makes me feel like a piece of crap but i found this dog and i called him i said what do we do this little guy is like in the corner he's terrified and kelly like superman came over and we, you know found we traced the dog because he kind of ran away when he got there and we found him and then he was like you know i was like well, let me know maybe it's like a you know if he's stray maybe i should take him in you know maybe it's like it's the gods sign. are telling i mean because yeah. i wanted you, to you do that for each other. and he was adorable and he was small and i was like this could probably work and then he was like yeah he's available and it was like what am i thinking man i'm going out like joe perry for three weeks i'm getting yeah. you know after i come back with share like this dog would never even know who i was you know yeah. it's like no way you know this is the reality of yeah. not gonna happen yeah. it will eventually i do have a bird though but he's with my mom right now. My backyard is like, I have like a whole possum family that's lived there for like the last 16 years that I've named all of. I've got raccoons that are live, that like live in my, like swim in my pool. And I've got a whole world in my backyard. So I'm kind of cool. You know, I got a whole, whole little animal yeah. kingdom in my, my, my little world. Okay. These are supposed to be quick answers, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. It's so Sorry. hard to answer quickly. <laughs> These, these next couple will be quick. Okay. Um, number three is, what would your walk-up music be to the Pearly Gates? Oh. Oh, my gosh. I don't even know. I should give these in advance, but better. it's better when you're sprung on you. Um, you know what? One of my favorite bass lines of all time is Sly and the Family Stones, If You Want Me to Stay. And that would be appropriate. Like, if you want me to stay, yeah. you know? It is appropriate. Here I am. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. That's a tough one, dude. You know, it's probably maybe a Rolling Stones tune or, you know, Zeppelin something. I don't know. You know, like, it's a hard one to pick, you know, something. Maybe the next one will be easier. What's stuck on repeat in hell? <laughs> Anything by corn. Oh. Just burned a bridge. Oh, Actually, I don't come care. On. I don't care. To me, it's just. <laughs> I don't, I don't, don't, yeah, don't get me started. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, there's not, like, a whole lot of music that I really hate. I really can't even think of anything that I absolutely hate. I um, love all the corn guys, mind you. They're all great Oh, they're guys. so sweet. sweet. They're so sweet. You know, it probably, honestly, would be something that I, I don't even know who, maybe... Maybe like Cardi B or something. Yeah. <laughs> something that's like really racist. It's just like da 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 Like come on. Like, yeah, I mean, that's now basically you're, now, you're, now you're that's that's your showing your age. I just don't get what the kids are doing. <laughs> yes, these days. exactly. Kids yeah, and she's days. not into it. Then imagine for me that is like living in hell, hearing that music. <laughs> okay, last question. It's just simply, what's the best concert you've ever witnessed? And I had a recent guest say what you know he described it as like. It was a religious experience. So if you For me, I think it's pretty easy. I have to say, I, I got to see Van Halen with David Lee Roth, and it was a friends and family show. And it was just like, it was like, this must be what it was like watching like Mozart conduct his symphony. You know, like when you were back in like, you know, that time when he's like on the podium. You know, it was like just watching them play it and playing 30 years together. Okay, that's the reason. And it was the reunion, yep. you know. And of course, it's a bummer. Michael Anthony wasn't there, but it didn't matter. And it was a friends and family only, so it was... One of those things that was like literally a thousand people at the forum. It was like an empty forum. And it was like, yeah, it's a crazy show. It was amazing. And I heard about it. It was right when I got the Chris Cornell gig. And basically, I used Ludwig drums, heisty cymbals, and regal tip drumsticks. That's not a pitch, but because Alex Van Halen, you know, is one of the most underrated drummers who I, to this day, worship. And his earliest, his most recent work is a masterpiece. 
But anyway, I went to that show and I wrote like Ludwig and it was a real hard ticket. I wrote Peisty and they were like, yeah, we'll see. And then at the last minute, both of them came back and got me on the list. And, and they were like, you better take some hot chip, man, because this is like a, this is a hard ticket. And I had dinner with my great friend Kevin Stevens and he had just showed me pictures of when he was a little kid. He's my age, he went to grad school, a great drummer, lives down the street from me. He showed me a picture of his room with like all Eddie Van Halen. And I was like, I'm taking Kevin, yeah. who actually wept. During the show, Aww. and it was just such a great thing. And at the time, I had like a 1979 Trans Am with T tops, so we had like Van Halen two blasting, and we so both fun. went. He had like a Van Halen headband, and we just like were in hog heaven. And it was just for anybody who wasn't there, that you know, he went to go get like a beer. He's like, "You want a beer or a hot dog?" I was like, "Sure." And he came back, and everything was free at the con. So it was like basically nice. like heaven. And Van Halen might be another one like a maybe like eruption like walking to the pearly gates cuz something mm-hmm. like that. But but anyway, that show I was just watching it thinking like there is nothing that sound, will ever sound better than this. Than that combination live in the forum. There's just nothing that will ever sound better. It was like it just kept bringing up those thoughts of like what it must have been like to see like Bach, you know, play an organ toccata and, you know, or something like that's what this is. These are the best living musicians. They're like gladiators and they're playing together after 30 years and it's just like, and it was just, the air was just electric. Pixie dust. Yeah, yeah. No pressure, Um, Ash. Well, mine's easy (laughs) because mine was in uh, 1995 and it was Primus. It was it was during their uh, Tales from the Punch Bowl release, and for me that was like the end all be all. I was like, oh my god, this is like my favorite band. As soon as I saw that concert, I was like, this is this is it for me. And they were my favorite band. They covered my my room with like Primus posters. I was such a nerd. Like it's such. I a, think like, any obvious. young bass player at that, but I was, like obsessed yeah. with Les Claypool. Yeah, you know, it was just cool. exciting to see a, a bass a bass player fronted band and he's up there singing and anyone who's tried to play bass and sing it's a very difficult thing to do you know it doesn't come naturally mm-hmm. it's not like playing rhythm guitar so that was just exciting i was like oh my god and the songs are so wacky and his voice is so different and i was just so into it it was inspiring so, yeah well that's a, that's a wrap i can't think you guys this was so much fun i, I hate Yay. to i hate to cut it short but let's, I have to, get, let's start all over again i have to <laughs> Let's just do it all over again. We'll get new answers. Yes, I think we would. All right. That was a lot of fun. A big thank you goes out to Ashley Reeve and Jason Sutter. It was a pleasure meeting and hanging out with those two. You can catch them on the road with Cher for most of 2019 and keep up with them on their social media channels. Both happen to have very entertaining Instagram accounts, so check those out. As for the podcast, please help us spread the gospel of the Rockonomics podcast. Go to Apple iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave us a comment. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be back next Tuesday with an all-new episode featuring a guitarist who has just an insane schedule as he juggles tours with two world-known artists and one immensely popular holiday music spectacular. So please join us to find out who that might be. Episode 46 is one for the history books. Good night, Cleveland.